We are at the well of Samaria at Sichar. There's a woman there, and she's got a reputation, if I can put it like that. Uh, she's been unfaithful. Uh, she's had five husbands, and the one she's with now isn't her real husband. And lo and behold, she is talking to none other than the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, that he should stoop so low, not just to talk to a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman, because women in Jesus' day were considered second-class citizens, but a woman who had a track record. Such is the love of Jesus Christ. If you are here this morning and you feel that you're uh, fake, uh, then here is the Saviour for you. And we are spending some weeks, and I'm sure you won't mind, at the well. We're just listening in to this conversation that Jesus is having with this woman. One of the most famous conversations in the whole of the New Testament. And Jesus, as we saw last time, has put his finger on the sin of this woman in order not to crush her, uh, even though it's a terribly un uncomfortable, isn't the right word? It is a traumatic experience uh, for a number of us when we're convicted of sin. But there's no torment in that. There's no oppression when God the Holy Spirit is working. And Jesus is doing this in order to show her that she needs him so that she comes and believes in him. So whatever is needed to bring us to Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit will work in his own way. There are no stereotypes. We've all come in different ways to the same Savior. Some may have had a profound sense of their sin. Others, they are still convicted of their need, and later on they will have uh, a very deep work of conviction because it's the Holy Spirit that is working, but some are just wooed to the Savior. Now then, we're going to carry on. This woman has been pricked in her conscience. What does she do? She does what most people do when they feel guilty. She changes the conversation. <laughs> Haven't you had that happen to you if you're witnessing to somebody? Or if you're not a Christian, haven't you done that when somebody's trying to talk to you about the big things? And what does she want to talk about? Worship. Typical. That, that's always a controversial subject. So let's take the accounts. Where are we? John chapter 4, verse 19. Just a few verses. John four nineteen. So she's deflecting Jesus now. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain in Samaria. And the Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation 
is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This woman wants to have a discussion on the subject of worship. It's a controversial hot potato, and some people like a good argument, don't they? And my, doesn't worship cause a lot of heat? If the amount of energy we sometimes spend discussing worship was actually spent in worship, our worship would be transformed. No wonder Tozer says worship is the missing jewel in evangelical churches. But I'm not interested this morning in many of the issues that are normally discussed in worship. We're not interested in styles of worship, in the outward. We'll come to that in a moment. I'm interested in what Jesus is talking about, the essence of worship. Now, maybe somebody will pipe up, Pastor, I thought Sunday mornings was meant to be gospel. How can you preach on something controversial like worship? Well, I'm preaching on something absolutely essential this morning. There are three musts in John. Do you know what they are? Um, I can't remember myself now, having said that. <laughs> you must be born again. John 3, Jesus to Nicodemus. Later on in that chapter, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus referring to his death. Essential, born again, the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins. And what does he say here? Those who worship him, verse 24, must worship in spirit and truth. So my point this morning is unless you are worshipping in spirit and in truth, you're not a Christian. We're not interested in the other things. There might be a place to discuss those. I'm not, I'm not against that. But that's not the point of this conversation, nor of this sermon. So all I want to do this morning is look at false worship and true worship. I once uh, went to a petrol station, put petrol in my car, and went in. And this was many years ago, so I was paying by cash. And I had a £10 note, it was many years ago, because you could buy enough petrol with a £10 note. And the man had a scanner, he put it under the scanner and he said, this is a fake. It looked exactly like a £10 note to me, but put under the scanner, it was showed up to be a fake. So he was very kind with me. Uh, he let me go to work, which was up in Bargoid, I was a teacher. And then on my way back, having had money, real money this time, from the bank I was able to pay. It looked on the outside as if it was true, but it was fake. And there is such a thing as false worship. And it isn't the church down the road that's guilty of false worship. We make it too simple, don't we? <laughs> we need to ask, are we true worshippers or are we false worshippers? We can look like true worshippers, but we can be false. Now then, what's false worship? This woman 
is a false worshipper. She says to Jesus, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. It, it probably could be seen from Sicha, so she might have pointed to the mountain. And she says to Jesus, you, being a Jew, she was a Samaritan, say that it's on Mount Zion, one of the mountains in Jerusalem, that we must worship. Isn't that the kind of thing that gets people going about worship? Where can we worship? How can we worship? Are there any uh, holy mountains? I've got to be careful. There, there is a holy mountain near here, Skirid. Have you been up the Skirid? up by Abergavenny, there's the ruins of a chapel on top of it, but you don't have to go up the Skirid to worship. You can, but there's no need. There are some Christians who talk about going on pilgrimage. We've got to be careful, don't we, when we visit um, sites of historical interest that it doesn't turn into a pilgrimage. Uh, it was said that if you go to St. David's, that counted as going to Rome uh, if you went so many times, we don't believe in going on pilgrimage as part of genuine worship. Now, there are some people, and this may be you, you will say, I can't worship unless I'm in a holy place. And you may think of a church or a chapel as such a place. But my friend, that, 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 that's got nothing to do with it. This is a good place to come if you want to worship, especially if you want to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. But we don't need a building to worship in. We don't need paraphernalia. We don't need an altar at the front. Now look at Jesus' answer to this woman. He, he would have been cancelled today, wouldn't he? Because he says, you're wrong. Doesn't he? Verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship. Forget about holy places, Jesus is saying. The time has come when they're done away with. And then he goes on to say, you worship what you don't know. My. He says to her, you're ignorant. And then he, he goes further, we know what we worship. Jesus can say that because he's the son of God. God become man. I'm standing in this pulpit this morning and I'm saying we worship what we know. We worship in the right way. And I'm not being dogmatic because I'm echoing the words of Jesus Christ. So it's possible to say that people are worshipping the wrong way. Period. And we are worshipping the right way. Now, before you leave in disgust, because you think I'm being narrow, I want to open up what Jesus means by that. Jesus isn't being a racist. He crossed the cultural barriers, the gender barriers, uh, the moral barriers, even in talking to this woman. He's referring to something much more profound. Do you know what this woman and the Samaritans were doing? This is why they were false worshippers. They were trying to worship God in their own way. 
and you're a false worshipper this morning, if your worship of God, even if you use the name of Jesus Christ, is in your own particular way. We call it DIY Christianity. And like many DIY things, they are no good, really, are they? They don't last. But you will say, isn't she sincere? Aren't people sincere today in the way they are comfortable with worshipping? Well, they may be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. Can't you? You can be sincerely wrong. So what does it come down to? How do we know the true way to worship? Well, it comes down to this. God has revealed it to us in his word. Either you worship in your own way or you're governed by God's way. And this is why we've got a pulpit in the center of our church and an open Bible. That's why I like a big pulpit Bible. If we can find a new King James pulpit Bible, please get one. Not this little thing. Because the word of God is our authority. And we're not worshipping the Bible. We're worshipping the Christ of the Bible. We're not bibliologists, but Christologists. And I'm only interested in what Jesus Christ has to say about worships. And it's interesting, isn't it? When people are engaged in false worship, they have their twisted version of Scripture. So the Samaritans, right, they had only the five books of Moses, the first five books of Moses, and they twisted a verse in Deuteronomy to justify worshipping on Mount Gerizim. So their altar uh, was built on Mount Gerizim. Their tabernacle was on Mount Gerizim. There was nothing in the true word of God to justify that. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they've got a Bible, haven't they? But it has twisted key verses about Jesus Christ. So th this is all I want to say on the first point. I don't want to dwell too long on the negative. We want to see what true worship is, don't we? We want to be true worshippers. But if your worship is just your way of doing it, if your worship is uh, gathered from your thoughts of God, then you're not worshipping the true God. It is the God who has revealed himself in the Bible. The God of the Bible has revealed himself in creation. It was wonderful driving to church this morning. It was like being in a Mediterranean city, seeing uh, the bay and the still water and the buildings reflecting on the water and the hills behind and the colors of the trees. The lines are falling unto us in pleasant places. The creation reveals the glory of God. But it's not enough. We need the Bible to give us a clear clear revelation so what does jesus say god has spoken by his prophets we got there in the end and we singing it spoken his unchanging word styles of worship come and go but there is something unchanging about true worship each from age to age proclaiming god the one, the righteous Lord, mid the world's despair and turmoil, one firm anchor holding fast. Aren't you glad about that? God is on the throne eternal, he alone the first and last. True worship will have the same essence, whatever time you live in, the last 2,000 years, true worship will be the same. 
even if outward things are different. And true worship will be the same wherever you find yourself in the world. I've had the privilege of visiting churches that do things very differently to us. <laughs> I'm even out of my comfort zone. But it can still be true worship. That sense of God. Now then, what is true worship? What, what does this word say? What is Jesus saying here? Well, the first thing he says is worship in spirit. And to begin with, it's small s. What does that mean? True worship is heart, not outward. Spiritual. I'm going to quote J.C. Ryle. Most of you have heard of J.C. Ryle, 19th century Bishop of Liverpool, the best bishop the Anglican Church has ever produced. And if you see photos of him, he's got a long beard and he looks very serious and he's dressed very formally. So we're not thinking here now of a person who is casual in everything. We're thinking about a, a very godly, serious man. So this is what J.C. Ryle says. The uselessness of any religion which only consists in formality, the outward things. We are all naturally inclined to make religion a mere matter of outward forms and to attach an excessive importance to our own particular manner of worshipping God. The heart is the principal thing in all our approaches to God. The Lord looketh upon the heart. And you know what? I've sometimes found that the more modern the church, the more traditional they are in their way of doing things. What do I mean by that? Well, every church has its traditions, has its set ways. And some very modern churches are very particular that you keep to their set ways. Interesting, isn't it? So we can attach too much importance to the outward if we're traditional in our worship or if we're modern or postmodern. Jesus says, give me your heart. Son, daughter, give me your heart. Give me your heart. Is the heart, our heart, the heart of worship? I came across this quotation by, J um, not J.C. Ryle, I've had J.C. Ryle, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. It's an illustration. As long as you notice and have to count the steps, you're not yet dancing. I don't know if any of you has tried dancing. <laughs> but if you're concentrating so much on the technique, you haven't got to the place where you're dancing. You're still learning to dance. He talks about reading. If you're not into dancing, you're into reading. When you need to consistently think about your eyes and the lights and the print, and the spelling, you're not really reading. And then he goes on. If we come to church, and we're thinking about the light, is it light enough? We're thinking about the carpet, is it nice colour? We're thinking about the pews, I know they're not comfortable. <laughs> I sympathise with you there. We're thinking about the people around us, I wish so-and-so wasn't sitting next to me. Uh, we're thinking about the preacher. Oh, I wish he uh, looked nicer. We're thinking about the, sorry, Paul, the organist. We're thinking about, I don't know, this or that. 
We're not worshipping, are we? True worship is to be lost in wonder, love, and praise. And they're very rare occasions. I'm not saying if we're struggling sometimes with outward things that we're guilty of false worship. But the essence of worship is not being aware that we're worshipping. The essence of uh, dancing is not being aware that you're dancing. The essence of preaching is not to be aware that you're preaching. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a powerful preacher, spoke about times when he was just a spectator in the pulpit. He was preaching, but it was the Holy Spirit that was preaching through him. He was just standing aside and seeing God at work. Wouldn't you love it if you came to church and you just came to worship? And during the service, you would wouldn't have to be the preaching, it could be the singing, it could be the praying, it could be the children's talk. Just this sense of God, the hearts, true worship is spiritual. Worship in spirits, capital S as well, in the Holy Spirits. This is what this church believes in. If you ever look at our new logo, do you, have you seen our new logo? It's actually the old logo we had when we were in the denomination. Things come around. It's an open Bible, but it's not just an open Bible. It's the dove of the spirits coming down. That's why I read from Acts 16. There you go, worship in spirit, small s and big s. Outwardly, things weren't very encouraging, were they, for Paul and Silas? Uh, they didn't have the right building. They were in a prison cell, the innermost cell. I don't think they were wearing their Sunday best. If they had been, they had been stripped from them. Uh, they had been whipped. Uh, they couldn't have leapt up for joy because their feet were in stocks. They had been abused. They were in pain. How, how are you feeling this morning? Are you in pain? Paul and Silas would have understood what it meant. And what happens? when everything else seems completely off-putting to true worship. They weren't a big congregation. There was only two of them. And what are they doing at midnight? They're singing praises to God. They're praying. They're worshipping. And you know what happened? God, the Holy Spirit, came down. There was an earthquake. I believe there was a spiritual as well as a physical earthquake or heartquake as Spurgeon calls it and it was in the midnight hour my friends we don't know much about that do we why do we make so little impact upon the world this small worship service in the prison cell with only two people who are in a pitiful state they made a huge impact on the city of Philippi, a church was formed. Why is our worship lacking in impact? It's because we're not often in the midnight hour. It's after midnight that we are aware of our sense of need and it drives us to our knees and God comes and visits us by his Spirit. This denomination started in the 19th, the start of the 19th century when it was a midnight hour. They were still being persecuted in parts of the country. Balar especially was a place renowned for opposition. And Nathan is speaking there on Tuesday. When did the church really thrive? It was 
in the midnight hour. So worship in spirit, small s, capital S, God gives songs in the night. Is there somebody here struggling? God gives songs in the night. Even if it's not a revival, God can meet with you. I can vouch to that. Others here can say amen to that as well. But worship isn't just in spirit, it's truth. In the authorised version, it says worship in spirit and in truth. And it gives the impression that you can worship in spirit but not in truth and vice versa. But in the original, it's worship in spirit and truth. So if you're worshipping in spirit, you're worshipping in truth. If you're worshipping in truth, you're worshipping in spirit. It's two sides of the same coin. What Jesus is saying here is true worship is spiritual. It's of the spirit and it's in truth. What does he mean by the truth here? This is what we come to when we're defining a Christian. It's only a believer who can do true worship. What? Worship in truth. It's not worship according to our own ideas of the truth. Uh, You tell me your truth uh, and I'll tell you mine. No, thy word is truth. Are we men and women of the book, as Wesley put it? That doesn't mean we don't read other books. I'm a bookworm, but there's only one authority, and that's the authority in the book. Worship in truth is worship in the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Scriptures. He is the spirit of truth. You can't worship unless you're born of the Spirit. And ultimately, worship in truth is Christ-centered, isn't it? Because Jesus said, I am the truth. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's why Jesus is saying to this woman, you don't know what you're talking about regarding worship. We know. Why do we know? Because he says, salvation is from the Jews. That's what it says in the New King James. But in the original, it's the salvation is from the Jews. There's only one Savior, my friends. Jesus Christ is the only name that's been given to you and to me by which we must be saved. There's only one salvation, and that's the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. It was first planned and revealed to the Jewish people. Who are the Jewish people? They still are a despised people. They were more so in uh, the Old Testament's. And yet God, in his amazing grace, has condescended to reveal himself to the Jewish people. The scriptures uh, came from the Jewish people. That's God, isn't it? Uh, God didn't give his word to uh, the great and the good. God hasn't revealed to us the Savior in terms of the Greek philosophers. God hasn't revealed his way of salvation to the Romans. The Jews, eventually the Greeks and the Romans were saved. But it was the Jews that it came from. And you may say, well, pastor, didn't the Jews have all the outward paraphernalia in their worship? Didn't they have a tabernacle, then a temple? Didn't they have a high priest and other priests that offered sacrifices? Didn't they they have all these things? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is doing away with all of that, isn't he? When he's talking to this woman. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming and now is. 
you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, which was the right place to worship at that time, worship the Father. The hour is coming and now is when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirits and truth. What is it? Why don't we need a tabernacle anymore? What was the tabernacle? What was the tabernacle? It was the dwelling place of God. Who is the dwelling place of God? In Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. Why do you want to go back to building a tabernacle if you've got the real thing? What about the sacrifices that happen in the tabernacle? All the lambs that had to be slain, all the blood that was flowing. Why don't we need all of that now? Well, we've got the real thing come. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. There's no need for many lambs. One is enough. There's no need for many sacrifices. One sacrifice is enough. What Jesus Christ did on the cross as the sacrificial lamb for your sins and mine is sufficient. We don't need the water and the wine when we have communion uh, to turn again into the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. One sacrifice 2,000 years ago was enough. Are you depending on anything else? The essence of false worship is that we try to justify ourselves. Cain tried to do that. Abel trusted in God's way of salvation. We don't need a priest. Please don't call me a priest. Don't call Andy a priest either. We're not priests. Jesus Christ is our high priest. Uh, in the old dispensation, the priest offered the sacrifices. Jesus Christ was the sacrifice. He is the high priest, and he hasn't finished yet. The sacrifice has been done once and for all, but Jesus is alive, ascended to heaven, and he is there now. We have a living priest. All the priests in the Old Testament had to be replaced because they died, like we all do. But Jesus Christ lives forever. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Have you got Jesus as your great high priest? I've got to come to a conclusion here. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is you can't worship God unless you're in Christ. You're in church this morning. Good. You're in the best place. I can see students here. Good. I was a student when I came to know Jesus Christ. But you need to be in Christ. Are we in Christ? How do I get into Christ? We're not talking about something physical. Uh, you don't have to go to the uh, Holy Land. Uh, there's no point going to Samaria. Uh, there's no point going to the well at Sichar. Jesus isn't there. There's no point going to uh, Jerusalem. Uh, you won't find uh, a tomb where Jesus' body is. Uh, Jesus is nowhere in uh, this world. He's in heaven. There's a man in heaven who's done everything so that you can be saved. You don't add anything. And you know, you can go to him in prayer. Prayer isn't a form of words. You don't have to say any words to pray. You can say words, but you don't have to. You just cry to him. 
Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, make me someone who worships you. That's the essence of true worship. In the end, when we have our discussions on worship, it's all mad-centered, isn't it? Even if you're defending traditional worship, if it's true worship, all you can say in the end is, to God be the glory. (laughs) Great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Is this your heart's cry this morning? Lord, save me. Lord, save me. I can't save myself. It's not DIY. It must be Christ. Give me nothing but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus, my Lord, crucified. And if you are in Christ, is your cry to God be the glory? I don't want to come to church just to hear a man. I don't want to just come and hear Wynn or hear Andy or hear Nathan. I'm not interested in them in one sense, if you know what I mean. I want to hear God speak through them. I don't want to come to church just to see my brothers and sisters because that's what will be to you once you're in Christ. You'll become part of the family of God. And it's good to have fellowship on Sundays. But in the end, you'll say, I want to come and worship Christ. And whatever we're singing, I try and choose the most appropriate hymns. I just don't want uh, a battle between traditional and modern. Let's just sing good stuff. Let's just sing Christ-honoring stuff, whether they're old or new, whether they're old or new. And may we just be so lost in what Jesus has done. And that's what the Holy Spirit loves. Uh, Have you ever done a fire? Have you ever done a fire? Finding wood for a fire. Have Have you ever tried finding wood that will burn? Often wood doesn't burn well. It's too damp. Uh, and um, Nathan will tell you he's got a log burner and uh, he's got to get the right wood that'll burn well. Do do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you know what the Holy Spirit uh, burns? The wood that's got Christ in it. Uh, Wood that's got too much um, man in it. Uh, uh, The Holy Spirit doesn't burn, but put Christ on the altar. And the Spirit burns. Don't we need uh, burning hearts, burning hearts on Sunday? Uh, don't, don't, don't we need uh, to know Jesus visiting us? It's good to see students and other visitors, but don't we need Jesus to just turn in? Don't, 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 don't we uh, want livelier services of worship? I say to people, what kind of worship does your church do? I say we, we do lively worship. I believe our worship is lively. But may we know even more life. Do you know what our forefathers said? Uh, They were Calvinistic Methodists, right? I'm not saying that just to throw terms at you. But this church came out of that. And when they started off, the Calvinistic Methodists, do you know what their nickname was? Do you know what they called them? Jumpers. Not not because they wore a woolly um, evangelical jumper. But they, they were so taken up with what the Lord Jesus had done, and they were so filled with the Spirit that they would jump. Now, they weren't doing that on purpose. There's something terrible about it when people try to work up an emotion. But they were so overcome. They were jumping, jumping up and down. And they were told off sometimes. They were told, 
you can't be. You're jumpers, jumpers. And you know what their answer was? Well, I'd rather be a jumper, jumper than a sleeper, sleeper. May, may our worship be in spirit and truth. May people say of the Heath Church, we are traditional, and there's nothing wrong with being traditional. But that's not the essence of worship. May people say of us, they may be quite traditional, but my, there's a reality there. There is a liveliness there, which is of the spirits. And this is the place to come to if you want to find Jesus Christ. May other churches in our fair city, as they do, continue to do, and even more so to do, lift up this Christ as well. And even if they're different to us in outward things, may we join all together. The Lord's Day is wonderful, isn't it? You've got different congregations, not just in this city, but all over the world. I've got to wind down now, but in some parts of the world, they've already finished. And in other parts of the world, they haven't even begun their Lord's Day. There's just one uh, note uh, from uh, east to west, and the note is all the same. It might be different people, it might be different ways of playing it, different instruments, if you like, but it's the same note, the music of salvation. And it's all to the same end. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. We're going to sing now, I want you to be a true worshipper. If you're not a true Christian yet, Come, come to Jesus Christ. And if you are, come, come closer to him. We're going to sing, is it a hymn about the church? Uh, no, it's a gospel hymn, that's tonight. It's 113, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. There's only one tune for this, to God be the glory, 113. <coughs>
thee the glory for great things has our God done. A great saviour, a great salvation, a great worship. Uh, Father, we thank thee that we just want to be in these things and just know that wonder that transports. Father, that being carried by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming down. Oh, come, great Spirit, come. And now may the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.